welcome to the Payments Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Rima Katz. Today, we're diving into the world of P2P payments and speaking to the intricacies of P2P scams. In a world where digital P2P payments are becoming increasingly ubiquitous, we recognize that they're not going to go away. And instead of succumbing to any fears, FIs need to embrace the inevitable. Joining me today is Kanan Srinivasan, Vice President of Risk Management and Fiserv, and Brian Riley, co-head of payments at Javelin Strategy and Research. From understanding the nuances of fraud prevention to implementing effective strategies, they're gonna to speak to how FIs can be better equipped with the knowledge and insights they need to navigate this landscape. It's great to have you both here today. To start things off, let's first differentiate scams from fraud. Brian, what are your thoughts here? Because they're two very different things. You know, when it comes to crimes, it's really important to classify them into groups so that you could have countermeasures against it. An overarching fraud, really the first level that you look at is first party, second party, or third party fraud. First party fraud is when the crime is committed by the owner of the account, if you will. It might be a bad return. It might be a claim of non-service on a merchant, something along that line. And then you have second party fraud, where fraud is done by another person, and there's a um, a relationship that the owner of the account has with the other person, if you will. It might be allowing them to use the card or something along that line. But third-party fraud is really one of the most common when it comes into payments, and that's when there's another party that's unrelated to the account using it in one form or another. So within that group, there are also deeper classifications, and one has to do with fraud per se, and the other has to do with scam. And the nature of that is, how is this crime being committed? Was there a actual fraud on the account where a third party used it, or was this scam involved? And today we'll be talking about fraud, actions, and scams, with those two views in mind. Makes sense. Uh, Yeah, and, and just to add to Brian, in general, right, if somebody gained access to your bank account, and made a payment without your permission. That's typically considered as unauthorized, right? So it's unauthorized activity. Think about it as credentials compromised, username, password stolen, right? So those are all considered as fraud uh, or unauthorized activity in general. Versus if you were knowingly involved in a transaction, you initiated a transaction, somebody may have spoofed up to be a pretending to be a bank or whatever, but you were involved in a transaction and you authorized a transaction then it's typically defined as scam. Any liability aspect to this that maybe either of you want to touch upon? Yeah. So in general, so the way payment industry works is for unauthorized activity, consumer has zero liability. Since the consumer did not authorize a payment, they will typically get their money back. But for scams, since the consumer authorized the payment and, and they may have initiated the payment, the likelihood that they would get their money back is pretty low. And that's why, again, it's important for our financial institutions to be ahead of fraud or scam and prevent that activity rather than remediate it after the fraud has happened. And Kaylin hits a really important point with that, too, because was the transaction where the consumer was a victim or did they have some sort of a play? And that that helps decide where the liability was stand. If it's a basic fraud, the consumer was innocent and did not authorize things. Yes, certainly they'd be protected. But in the instance of falling prey to a scam, that's where the the grayer line falls, and it could often cost the consumer money. 
And how does the prevalence of P2P scams compare with scams overall? You know, something that's really important is that we're in a world of faster payments one way or another, and transactions can settle and clear. This business was really founded on having built-in delays into the process because of like on the credit side, for instance, you want to protect the, the lender on it and making sure those didn't clear. As debit cards became more active in the, the growth of P2P, that's where the, the different plays come into it. Now, also within the whole industry, you have the push towards faster clearance. I can see it when I make a payment on a credit card today, that it clears typically, if I make it midday, it's going to clear that night with a financial institution that uses the appropriate technology. And the same thing happens here with P2P, where transactions are in, now intended so they clear quickly. And consumers demand it. They want access to the funds quicker. And banks are willing to accommodate that. And just to add to Brian, so and provide a little bit more statistics to it. So according to new data from FTC, total fraud losses reported in 2022 was $8.8 billion. You know, versus in comparison, if you think about P2P and money transfers, they were about $1.7 billion. So in general, P2P fraud has much lower exposure for our financial institutions compared to other products, even card uh, fraud losses, right? So they were $12 billion in total, and card not present itself was about $5.7 billion in 2022. So, you know, while P2P gets a lot more attention due to the real-time nature and the relative newness of, of that product, overall, if you think about financial institution and their exposure when it comes to check fraud and, and card fraud and everything else, P2P is a much smaller portion. John, Pfizer has offered P2P payments since roughly 2010. What are you seeing in terms of fraud and scams? Yeah, so some of the top categories which we observe when it comes to specifically scams are imposter scams and merchandise, right? Those are the most popular ones which comes to mind. So when you think about imposter, this is where the bad guys would pretend to be your financial institution. They could be a government uh, entity like IRS or a police department, a tech support company, right? So they could be one of those and they would incentivize you to send money to them, right? So that's the imposter type scams. And then you have the common merchandise scams where the fraudster would set up a, a shop, a kind of thing, you know, where you would pay for a puppy, a kitten or a ticket or whatnot, right? But the goods will ultimately be not delivered, right? So those are the two major things we are seeing, you know, but one of the things which we see across, right? So we have a pretty deep history of uh, payments and, and P2P risk management when it comes to fraud and scams. We have had a product called Pop Money which we had been operating since 2010 before we moved into to Zelle, right? So we have a pretty large history of monitoring P2P trends. And even with Zelle, we have about 2,200 FIs and majority of them, 65% uh, or so are Pfizer clients. So what we see overall is uh, Zelle fraud and scam incidents have dropped significantly within the network as well as FIs as they are taking additional measures to mitigate fraud, right? So again, the network uh, fraud Zelle metrics, if you think about, right? So overall, year over year, total fraud and scams have dropped by 33%. And, and specifically, scams themselves have dropped by 27%. And the fraud, if you think about unauthorized activity, has come down by 37%. So all good news there, you know, when you look at the, the Zelle network, overall scams and fraud, they're all down by about 30% a year over year. You know, Kane, I want to tell you a story, and it's, it's a true story. It just happened to me. And it shows how sophisticated some of these things have gotten. 
Now, I've been in the payments world for more than 40 years, and my American Express card will tell you I've been a, a member since 1998, and I've got a, a two bank cards I've had for more than <laughs> longer than that. So I'm pretty seasoned when it comes to doing online purchasing. And there's a place that I buy men's shirt from that I like. And I had just finished a purchase for the Christmas holidays. And so I'm, I, I got a piece of mail, email the other day, and it was offering me the shirts at 70% discount on the price. And so I immediately loaded my shopping cart, thinking that things are fine. And everything. I go all through the process. What I didn't do was like to hover on this email to make sure to double check the domain. And I go to the authorization page and it tells me my card failed authorization. Enter another account number. Now, I, I haven't had a card fail authorization in decades, literally. Um, so I immediately backed out of the transaction and started like, poking at that email to see what was wrong with, with it. And I found some things like the domain was not the, the vendor I was expecting. And shame on me for falling prey. But it just shows you that it, these these things happen in the real world. I'm an experienced cards guy. And uh, it can, if it happened to me, it's going to happen to anybody. Absolutely. You know, uh, you're right. You know, uh, the amount of <laughs> data overload we get every day, right? You know, the texts and the emails, all of them fake, right? So it's pretty dangerous what we see these days. Yeah, but it was it looked authentic. You know, if you look at all the pictures and the landing page, but it was shame on me. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so, right? I think that moves us into the next uh, question there, right? So uh, what we see is sophisticated, you know, AI, if you think about it, has given the technology and the tools you know, for, for fraudsters to create deep fakes, right? So previously used to see these emails and texts, which were grammatically incorrect, which allowed you to say, oh, you know what, this is fake. <laughs> which, which you know, with, with the AI kind of thing, those are all gone, you know, the, they are grammatically correct. They are much more closer to how an actual email should look like, how your bank logos look like, right? So it's much more difficult now to discern good versus bad. You know, when you get an email or a text which exactly looks like Zelle or cash, um, you know, um, transaction or a square. It's yeah, and that's, that's one of the big challenges when you tie together the sophistication and then you couple it with the instant expectation that you're going to have clearance. It really does create a very tight window. And that's that's why these tools are so important. And you touched upon a few good terms in terms of how much more sophisticated these scams have become, that it's really difficult to differentiate. As you're speaking, I was like, also thinking about the card decline that I got earlier this weekend, and now I'm going to have to go check to make sure that I myself wasn't scammed. But aside from these ongoing scams, what else are you seeing in the space that's really problematic and troublesome? Right. So, you know, again, all this thing is happening because of you know, the human nature, right? So we we are all motivated by fear or greed, right? So, you know, greed with, with some of the incentive schemes, like, you know, one of the things which which you know, Brian saw is like 70% discount, which motivated him to say, you know what, 70% discount, let me try it out, right? That's one type of incentive incentivization versus the other ones where you see a text where it says, you know, did you do a $3,000 transaction, you know, or, or some which is fear, right? So, or they'll say, you know what, you, ha you haven't paid your parking dues for, for, for three months and you're gonna be, you know, arrested, right? So that's the fear aspect to it. So they both are pretty powerful human motivators or instinctors, you know, which allow us to, you know, react to things which are out without, you know, deeply thinking through the, through it, right? You know, so that's that's one thing, you know, which we see. And and again, regenerative AI has provided, like I mentioned, you know, the tools to to the bad guys. They can automated bot attacks at scale, 
right? So we see huge amount of new account opening fraud, you know, where fraudsters might be creating mule accounts to collect funds, you know, so they create th tons of spoofed emails specifically targeted to a geography, right? So if you think that, you know, one of the large institutions is in, say, in the Sun Belt somewhere, right? So you will see targeted emails all looking for that logo from that financial institution getting bombarded in that place. So fraudsters have been able to merge data, right? Uh, your user demographic data, okay, where do you live? And what are the banks there, right? Or the financial institutions there? And they would, they would match that and target a specific financial institution logo in that institution, in, in, in that belt, uh, if you think about. So their hit rates much more. Right. So in national banks like Wells Fargo, Bank of America, they're all everywhere. You, you could have a pretty high target rate. Even smaller financial institutions are not immune now. Right. That's what we see happening nowadays where, you know, smaller FIs are getting because uh, consumers are getting emails specifically from that FI. So, you know, and like I mentioned, you know, fake invoices, fake texts, fake emails are becoming much more real. And it's very you know, difficult for our consumers to identify good versus bad. And that's something that's so interesting when you look at fraud is that, you know, if you're working at a company like Fiserv or a major financial institution, when there's a systems turnover, it's a big event. You're doing things that, you know, some in Fiserv's case, you do something in New York or Milwaukee, and you can potentially affect anywhere in the world because that's where your footprint is, as opposed to a, a whether it's an organized crime situation or somebody doing it solo where they could just keep changing and changing and changing until they want. Um, so that's something that's really important and stands out here. And it's like it's like chasing sand in a desert and it goes with the wind and it goes to the weakest point. And so we're in a world now where electronic commerce is certainly growing and up, you know, pushing 20% in the US. So you're getting further away from that point of sale. You know, somebody who has to go to a store and tender it. You have more of the anonymous nature of the internet. So, so many things can happen in, in a very short period of time. So when you stack on top of the, the fact that things are going faster, they're also going more, and it becomes a much tighter playing field. So it's encouraging when you talk about the, the Zell numbers on fraud going down, uh, but just recognize that it's an ongoing job and people will be fighting fraud for the rest of time. Absolutely. You're right. And, and we know fraudsters will continue to go where the money is, right? And, and whatever is the weakest link sometimes, and they would target our innocent customers. As a part of uh, our financial institutions, the network, and within Pfizer, you know, um, our goal is to make sure that we have mitigations in place to detect scams as well as fraud. So, you know, one of the things which we find is transactions originating from the bank app, right? So, uh, or credit unions is the safest mode to move money. Uh, right. So since you're logging into a financial institution, your FI has the front end controls to make sure that it's you who's logging in uh, right to the front end control from the FI, the new accounts controls, which an FI has to make sure only good guys are coming into the financial institution. So that's one, you know, if you think about layered security, that's one important aspect to it. Then the second part is, you know, when you're initiating a transaction and if it's a five for five clients, you know, we have deployed, you know, pretty sophisticated, you know, real-time machine learning scoring algorithms, which can detect different kind of scams and fraud uh, based on the, the, the you know, 3,000 FIs whom we are uh, monitoring fraud for, right? So a consortium type uh, view of fraudsters who are moving from FI to FI is a pretty good, you know, overview for our fraud, you know, models and, and data, which we can tune 
to identify some of those bad you know actors and then we offer multiple mitigation options because one you know mitigation doesn't fit all fraud types right so you know you may have to look through and and strategize okay so if this is a scam what should you be doing if this is a fraud what should you be doing right so some of those things will have to be playing in to make sure your targeted mitigation approach to detect you know and stop specific kind of fraud you know and again ultimately you know scam awareness and education uh, is is the other most important thing you know the more educated your consumers are with respect to the scams and fraud which they are seeing they can identify that and stop on their tracks before they initiate a transaction. And that's really one of the beauties of the consortium model too, right? Because you're able to take a learning from here and apply it over there, right? You have inputs from merchants, you have inputs from consumer, and it creates this defense prism that that can really address a lot of things. Because when it's when you're dealing with this kind of a situation, there's there's three essentials, and you you hit on one. I think education is essential with this. Educating not only your merchants, your consumers, everybody in the food chain needs to know. And then having a, a, a functional process in place that's repeatable and is scalable, and it draws from all kinds of angles that can build into it. And then, of course, to have the metrics that can say, hey, we're doing better or we're doing worse, or the, the, the problem is shifting into this zone, and that's how we'll address it. Uh, you spoke about Zell previously. Can you tell us how Zelle's payment dispute rates compare to other P2P apps? Sure. So uh, according to a survey of uh, large banks uh, conducted by BPI, which is the the Bank Policy Institute uh, uh, last year, they identified Zelle as the safest uh, peer-to-peer network. You know, um, and when you compare a fraud or the disputed transactions, uh, you know, across different payment types, PayPal is three times higher than Zelle. You know, Cash App is six times higher uh, than Zelle, right? And, and also, since 2017, you know, two thirds of the complaints submitted to CFPB about peer-to-peer payment services have been from you know Venmo, Cash App, and and Coinbase uh, Global, right? So, so when you think about you know um, the the fraud types from different P2P applications, we find that uh, transactions originating from your financial institution, uh, like which is Zelle, uh, which which your financial institution provides. That is the the um, safest method for you to initiate a transaction. And as per AWS, um, you know, 99% 99.9% of Zelle transactions are completed without any issues. So the fraud uh, is is relatively low um, uh, in the Zelle network. As we come to an end, I want to kind of like hone in on this a bit more. Digital P2P payments are not going to go away. As you both spoke about, we're seeing a prominent increase of scams and there's still a lot of education that needs to be done around it. But on the contrary, transactions are growing year over year, quarter over quarter. What should a financial institution be thinking about when it comes to offering P2P payments? Ryan, I'll start with you first. Well, the first thing is that P2P payments are here to stay. It's not something that's going to go away. When you think about how people want to transfer money, Certainly, gift cards have a place in the world, and if you go go to a kid's party, you'll see there's a real play there. I think of when I was going to school many years ago, waiting for a check to arrive. <laughs> Those days are over. Now, I know as my kids went through college, it's, well, can you send me money now? <laughs> the expectation is that that will flow really quickly, and that's a common expectation. And you look at how real-time payments have grown and faster payments and every other channel that's going against that market. There's a demand for it. Even on the credit side, some of the contraction that was built into the process is starting to to wane. But when it comes to addressing real live funds and real live accounts, 
real people want that money money moved quickly. That's for sure. Absolutely. You know, uh, and again, like just like you mentioned, right? So the global P2P market, you know, was valued at $2.2 trillion in 2022 and expected to hit $11.6 trillion by 2032, which is in 10 years. So 20% uh, CAGR year over year, right? So uh, it's great. You know, again, like you mentioned, real-time payments are here to stay. And our users are excited. You know, uh, our users do want money to move instantly. They want money to be available, you know, uh, real-time, right? And and fast availability of funds. But it also raises concerns with our financial institution fraud partners, right? So it's great uh, for everybody else, but for, for our fraud partners who actually monitor fraud, for them, sometimes it, it's a little difficult, right? And again, key thing which comes up is, do you have the tools and technology in place to monitor funds movement in real time? And that's the key thing which comes into play. Again, digital payments fraud requires a great deal of technical expertise versus when it comes to fraud or scam, fraudsters can, can do low-tech fraud, right? You know, or just dupe your, your consumers into you know, sending money out. So, and again, right, so the wide range of scams and introduction of, you know, uh, gen AI tools to take advantage of different situations is is much more difficult for our financial institutions to handle, you know, um, different types of scams, like from old time uh, Nigerian scams to, you know, work from home scams, which which have been happening in 20, you know, 2020, 2022, to crypto scams, right, charity scams, all those things are increasing. So one of the things which we recommend is leveraging a, a, an expertise of a reliable partner, you know, some like Pfizer definitely reduces the work burden for the financial institution significantly in terms of not just uh, FTE, but also technology, right? So Pfizer has the, the risk management protocols and strategy in place to help mitigate different kinds of scams and fraud, you know, um, as well as working with the user interface uh, when it comes to interacting with your consumer, right? So safety messages, um, you know, and and communication with your consumer on the app uh, or, or email and text, that's an important thing too. Um, as an organization, you know, uh, you should take an active stance against scams in additional ways. You know, um, you should have your own internal tools and technology, uh, not just specifically for, for Zelle or, or any P2P product, but overall, if you think about it, right? Because frauds, not just going to uh, happen in one channel, it could happen across. So flagging and identifying bad actors is an important part of uh, enterprise financial uh, crime teams, right? Um, looking for suspicious looking email addresses, right? Sometimes you would see, you know, paymentrefund.gmail.com, right? So uh, identifying some of those different kind of patterns, you know, fraud emails, tumbling emails, some of those which are coming up uh, should be important. So again, then from Pfizer perspective, we we display you know safe usage uh, alerts, right? So when somebody's sending funds, you do want to say you know you are sending money to this person, whether the person is enrolled or not, and also some kind of a caveat that treat it like cash, right? So if you send money to somebody instantly or real time, you cannot get the money back if the funds are gone, right? So treat it like cash, which is again uh, sometimes the paradigm shift for the consumer to know that they have to be careful when they're sending money out and, you know, protect it as much as possible, right? So again, what we see is no matter the type of scam or fraud, the last level of of defense many times is the account holder, you know, uh, who must take action sometimes to, to send the funds, right? So pause and see what you're doing 
before you fall for any kind of scam, whether it's it's a it's a romance scheme, you're not trying to pay send money to to a trusted person. Sometimes you think, or you're buying kitten puppies, whatever, right? So make sure that you you know where the monies are money is going to. You know the receiver of funds uh, really well before you do that, right? And that that's where education is very important. And and also remember, P2P is just one way of exiting funds. If the bad guys have access to your user credentials, they can do it through other activities, right? They can do wire, they can do bill pay, they can change the billing address and ask for a duplicate credit card or a debit card. So make sure that the user's login is protected and remediated before you know you allow them access again. That's great. And you know, I can tell you if it can happen to an old payments hack like me, it can happen to you. <laughs> Anybody? Yeah, yeah, uh, correct, exactly, right? And and again, uh, Preventing fraud and scam is a is a multi-pronged approach, is a layered security financial institution, your payment partner, the network. We're all playing together uh, in making sure that we come up with the best prevention technology, the best practices, education, and communication. All those things will go a long way towards protecting consumers, you know, and empowering themselves to protect themselves. Thank you both so much for sharing your insights and your perspective. And thank you to everyone for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe and stay updated on the latest Payments Journal episodes. And don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues.